it is abusive. And honestly, if if roles were reversed, we could see just how abusive that relationship is. And I do feel like in being with Gert, he is replicating patterns of seeking love and seeking approval from someone who is trying to make him earn their love. everyone this is alex and this is M. welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the Hulu original Marvel's Runaways. As the name implies, the series is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it doesn't feature Thor or Iron Man. This time, Marvel is taking us for a wild ride as six teens who grew up together get the shock of their lives when they learn that their seemingly normal parents are villains who are responsible for murdering many other teenagers over the last 20 years in service to a sinister extraterrestrial force. So how did this series and its unique premise fare without caped heroes or intergalactic warfare? Stay tuned. All right, everyone, here's some details about Runaways. The series is an adventure superhero and teen drama it was created by josh schwartz and stephanie savage and it's based on runaways the comic book series released by marvel um created by brian k vagan the writer and adrian alfana the artist the series has been published since july 2003 till present day the series had aired from November 21st, 2017 until December 13th, 2019 on Hulu for three seasons and a total of 33 episodes. The show stars uh, Renzi Felix as Alex Wilder, one of the runaways who is sort of like a tech genius. Lyrica Okano as Nico Minoru, another runaway who is a Wiccan. Virginia Gardner as Carolina Dean, another runaway who is an alien-human hybrid. Ariella Bearer as Gertrude Yorks, a.k.a. Gert, another runaway who is a riot girl and their resident social activist. Greg Sulkin as Chase Stein, another runaway who is their engineering whiz. Allegra Acosta as Molly Hayes Hernandez, another runaway with superhuman strength. Angel Parker as Catherine Wilder, Alex's mom, a successful lawyer and a pride member. Ryan Sands as Jeffrey Wilder, Alex's dad, a successful businessman and a Pride member. Annie Worshing as Leslie Ellerdean as um, she's Carolina's mom, a Pride member and the leader of the Church of Gaborum. Kip Pardue as Frank Dean, 
Carolina's dad, quote unquote, at least this is who she thinks is her dad when the series begins. He's a washed up actor and Leslie's husband. Ever Carradine as Janet Stein, Chase's mom and a Pride member. Also a very talented scientist, but she's not using her skills when we meet her. James Marsters as Victor Stein, Chase's dad, a Pride member and an engineering genius. Bridget Bradna as Stacy Yorks, Gert's mom, Molly's adoptive mom, a Pride member and a bioengineer. Kevin Wiseman as Dale Yorks, Gert's dad, Molly's adoptive dad, a Pride member and a bioengineer. Brittany Ishibashi as Tina Minoru, Nico's mom, an innovator, a CEO and a Pride member. James Yagashi as Robert Minoru, Nico's dad, an innovator and a Pride member. Julian McMahon as Jonah, Carolina's biological father, a member of the alien race called the Gaborum, and Pride's benefactor. Clarissa Thibault as Zavin, a shape-shifting Gaborum. And Elizabeth Hurley as Morgan Le Fay, a powerful sorceress from the Dark Dimension. These are our major players. These are the people that we're going to run into over and over. Um, and I know it's a lot of information to take in, but I'm telling you guys this because we can't keep reminding you who these people are as we talk about the seasons. So let's jump into season one, 10 episodes. Let's go. All right. So do you want to give us sort of where we where we are when we jump into this? Yeah, yeah, sure. So you have all the members of Pride. Um, you have uh, Leslie, her husband Frank is not a member of Pride, but we have Leslie, Catherine, Jeffrey, um, uh, Janet, Victor, Stacy, Dale, Tina, and Robert. These are our Pride members. The Minoru's, the Steins, the Yorks's, the Wilders, and um, Leslie Dean. They make up Pride. They've been in Pride for about 20 years now. They come from many different walks of life, many um, racial backgrounds, but now they're pretty much the richest people in town. Pride is one of the most respected organizations in town. Um, and even though the Church of Gaborum, it's, a lot of people think it's a cult. They do a lot of great work in the community, and no one can find a blemish in their track record. As a result, their kids grew up together, um, and the kids used to be close, but a couple years ago, um, Nico's older sister died, and this put a fracture in the friend group. Everybody kind of went their separate ways, did their separate things. Um, Nico fell more into her goth thing. She hasn't gone full Wicca yet. Um, Alex went into more his engineering. Chase ventured to be a lacrosse player. Gertrude got into social activism. Um, Molly doesn't really know what she wants. She's the youngest member of the Runaways, by the way. She's two years younger than everyone else, or three years younger. And Carolina is the spokesman for the youth of the Church of Gaborum. She's basically the face to recruit teenagers to her mother's church. So that's where we stand right now. The friend group is very fractured, but pride is very much intact. And when we meet the Runaways, they haven't spoken to each other in over a year, but Alex decides to recruit everybody to come over to his house and try to get their friendship on track. And that's when they see their parents sacrificing a teenager named Destiny in service to, at this point, they don't even know what. They just know that their parents are straight up murderers. <laughs> right. They just see something weird and they're like, uh, that's not, you know, normal. So the show is like interesting. I had seen it obviously because I had Hulu and it, it definitely like popped up on my 
my Hulu, like, hey, watch this. And I was just always sort of like, mm, no, girl, I'm good. Because it didn't look uh, like something I would like. I, but I had never really seen any other, like, outside advertising for it. Like, Hulu does, like, another... Hulu's, like, another one that does a weird job of, like, promoting its shows. I don't know mm-hmm. what their 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 marketing strategy is or, like, their team or if they have one or what's going on with that. Um, I don't know. But, you know, when you picked it and I started watching it, I was like, oh, but these are... I understand, though, why Hulu was like, hey, like, watch this because it has all my favorite people. <laughs> like, all my favorite people... <laughs> So it's like Josh Swartz and Stephanie Savage are the executive producers. And like, those are the OGs, um, OC, Chuck, Gossip Girl, like love Josh and Stephanie. They're like, I, they always do great work. So I'm like, okay. And then, um, and then we have like, so, and then at least with the adults, there are so many heavy hitter actors, like Kit Pardue was so, um, unexpected and it's also (laughs) I completely forgot about him and how much I used to stand him right and that's I think that's why it's sort of rude that they cast him as like a washed up actor oh my god the disrespect (laughs) this is almost as bad as that time that Elijah Wood got cast as a washed up child actor in the boys oh gosh it was so Kit Pardue was unexpected. Um, James Marsters, I always, you know, D, I love Buffy, so I always feel an affection when I see him. And he's also just, James Marsters, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't feel any type of way because, like, I mean, he had an incredible career. He got to be on, like, two hit TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then work sort of steadily. But, like, uh, he's always, he's just an incredible actor beyond his sort of stuff in the Buffy universe. Um He's Absolutely. a he's a very incredible actor. Um, nobody does villainy like James Marsters does villainy, and like we get to see it here again. And then like Cole, like feet, like <laughs> then Julian McMahon from like Nip Tuck and Charmed, and I was like, hey, all my friends. He's um, a great villain as well. Like same. I can't see him as anything else. Same. Nobody does villainy like he does. Uh, and then Bridget Branagh, who was like in Army Wives and always, but like. Also, just a, a really great television actress who is around, and um, I love to—I just love it when I see her and things. She does really great work. So I was like, "Yeah, like this is this is it. This is gonna be this is gonna be it." Um, but I don't know. Like, yeah. I feel like if anything, Marvel's Runaways is like proof positive that like teen shows are not easy to write. Like, you can. Or, or not necessarily just the writing, but, like, um, they're not easy to do, period. Like, you can watch a bunch, you can, but they're not, they're, they're, there's always a specific element to them. They require just as much precision and attention to detail as, like, any other, like, big prestige show. I feel like that's, if anything, like Marvel's Runaways proved that. Because it's not any one specific thing that I can point to. But there is a general, but it, but to me, Marvel's Runaways feels like they're like a, but there's like a ton of like teeny little things that were off. But all those teeny little things built up. Like, you know what I mean? To be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I can agree with that. Um, and I think one of the issues is 
you know, like you're just talking about how strong the adult cast is. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't want them to put weak actors. I love Annie Wershing, who plays Leslie Dean, great actress. I love Angel Parker and Ryan Sands, who plays Alex's who play Alex's parents, the Wilders. They're great actors as well, who unfortunately I don't get to see much of. Even the actor who plays um, Jeffrey's um, best or former best friend, Darius, very strong actor who's been acting since he was a child and, you know, um, hasn't gotten many roles. But the problem is the writers have to straddle this line of writing these these adults in a way that's believable, which they do, but mm-hmm. also writing the kids in a way that's believable, which sometimes the ball gets dropped. The ball does get dropped. You're right. <laughs> that happens. I mean, so like in the pilot, the mom to Carolina says, oh, you're the millennial face of the, the church. I'm like, she's Gen Z. Oh, thank you. Because I was like, I was already like, y'all trying me already. (laughs) I was like, she's clearly Gen Z. Like, listen, I'm a millennial. So, like, I understand that we're all feeling a type of way because we're getting old, but you guys were old. (laughs) Right. We're old. I think the youngest millennials are like, 28 or 29 now yeah like it's it's over you guys it's fine we're gonna be okay <laughs> or no 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 something like i think the youngest millennials are like 27 regardless they millennials can drink millennials can vote millennials don't have curfews <laughs> so there's that um but yeah they they write very very strongly for the adult characters and i deeply appreciate it because sell me right sell me on why these parents are bad news and these kids need to get the hell away from them but i think right. the only the 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 character I feel who was written consistently well, like get tap into the mind frame of a teenage girl consistently, was ironically enough Molly, who I feel could have been developed better. Right, and I also think some of those younger actors like needed some some more support. And I I think you and I have talked about this about how like I don't I don't think directors like direct actors anymore. They just hope that actors just know whatever the fuck they're they're doing when they show up on set. Um, but like they needed help. <laughs> I feel like some of the these younger actors really needed like support and they needed to be directed. Like, do this. Now you're gonna do this. Like be sad. Like like they needed to spend more time to be like to understand what these emo- the emotional beats were happening. Mm-hmm. Um because I because it's weird to watch the show and in the writing and like the writing you can tell like what the writer was going for and then the actor is just doing the opposite and I was just like okay so why didn't a director be like hey so like I need you to do this in this emotional beat listen director actors that's all I'm saying director actors you're not it's not no one's gonna cry no one's gonna cry I promise Right. I think one of the best examples of this, unfortunately, and if you're listening to this girl, I think you're a great actress. I really do. But let's talk about this. Lyrica O'Connell. Lyrica O'Connell plays Nico Minoru, great actress. But they have Nico as a goth girl, a tough girl, one of those, you know, tough on the outside, marshmallow soft on the inside. I've been hurt. I'm dealing with grief type of tough girls quote-unquote tough girls and so for the most of the show she has this facial expression where her jaw is constantly locked so tight it looks like it's about to break off right told, oh yes who told girl right. to do this right who told, who told her, to, her do to do that oh my god i'm so worried for her 
<laughs> Baby, who told her to do that? I I want to fight. I just want to talk, actually. But I'm ready to fight because it 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 takes away from what she's doing because because of the expression on her face, everything she says sounds so forced. Right. I wish somebody would have told her like you cannot. It's like it's it's okay to. I was be like, first of all, you're gonna get locked jaw. Like right. Like and. You know, don't don't do that. Like that that's not like a great thing to happen. And then two, like we're gonna there I know you have other modes of expression of feeling, you know, that you can contain within yourself. Like somebody just needed to give her like a new action, like um like an acting school, like Meisner technique. Like I think the favorite thing, like or, and I think a lot of people use it because it just works. It makes sense um, to a lot of people. But they have, like, this thing called actioning where, like, by each of your lines you write, like, what you're trying to do to the other person. And it's like mm-hmm. I'm trying to seduce them or I'm trying to get them to understand and I'm trying or I'm trying to whatever. But it has to be, like, some sort of act- active action. They needed mm-hmm. to do that. Like, somebody needed to, like, go through that with her. Like, and a good director would have. Like, but I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not. I'm just, right. I'm just, like, I just think in general they weren't, I, they weren't supported. And I feel like, and, like, I read the Thandie Newton piece, and I read, like, the Michaela Cole piece. And if there's anything, uh, and I've been reading, like, all these, and I feel like now, like, we're reading all these pieces or whatever, but if there's one thing that there's, like, a, that feels like a pattern is that, like, nobody is supporting these younger artists at any level. So no. that's just a general <laughs> thing. Yeah, and I knew that somebody hated her when I saw the makeup on Nico because um, Lyrica O'Connell is a good four or five shades darker than she's portrayed on the show, but they fall so deeply into the goth stereotype <laughs> that they put this the the whitest makeup possible on this girl. You're not doing her any favors. And the thing is, this actress has to work and she's got to eat when the, once the series is completed. So who made these decisions? You understand what I'm saying? Right. Like she's the only person that doesn't look like herself outside of that show. Well, to be real, that well, no, you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> I'm just I was like, gonna be like her dirty. Because I was like gonna be like Gert. Like Gert doesn't really look like herself, but I'm like mm, maybe she does. Um, yeah, I mean they they made her hair purple, but like she 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 actually dresses that way and she actually wears glasses. <laughs> Like so, I like I've I've looked at pictures of uh, what is the actress Ariella Bear, and yeah, she's completely recognizable, and everybody else on the cast is. And I look at Lyrica Okano, and I'm like, oh wait, her skin is like tan, like that's her natural skin color. <laughs> like y'all did y'all did this girl really really dirty. I understand the whole Wicca thing, and I think this is the other thing where this show f- kind of fails its actors. They portrayed her like a late 90s, early 2000s goth. This is not what Gen Z goth looks like. Right? That's so true. That's not what (laughs) Gen Z goth looks like. It's like nobody went on TikTok to, like, try to understand. Because it's like, Gen Z goth is, like, more like, it's not happier, but it's, like, it's more colors now. Right. I mean, they, they even got a whole pastel goth where where some of them don't even wear black anymore. They were, like, pink and purple. Right. I was, that was another thing. You're so right. And that, and it got me, there's just, the show's dated in so many ways. Like, um, 
And I was like, yeah, why does she, why is she dressing like that? Like, but I don't know. But it also is like there, I didn't feel like they did due diligence to, to look at like what Gen Z actually looks like. Even, um, even Gert is kind of like, does not look, I would not like peg her as like the, like a social justice person. Cause I feel like social justice people are like, kind of like bougie bougie now like um particularly gen z oh that was another thing it didn't make sense to me that like was a weirdo because like gen z is all about social justice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like and the whole fact now if they had been like she has no friends because she's super mean sure because she is she's like really mean and i don't know why people are nice to her like (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna talk about that in a minute for real like i did not get it at all like i was like whoa babe act like a person (laughs) um uh like i could get it if she had no friends because she was really mean but they frame it like she has no friends because she's super into social justice and that would work if the show was set in like Ohio or Mississippi or even Georgia. I would even buy that in Georgia, like in Atlanta or some, or some random ass town, not in like Cal, not in Los Angeles, not in Los Angeles. I don't buy that. Like, um, I didn't buy that at all. Like, in fact, I, I thought that was weird. Like, uh, her, she would be popular. Cause so she, cause she would be like, um, into social justice and like that's like the thing now mm-hmm. I mean so the way that she dresses I kind of gave that like a pass because I have seen that look before especially in like um, non-binary circles of activism um, but her popularity or lack thereof I'm still kind of torn on that because I simply don't know enough Gen Z's personally to know if the activism they show online translates to their lives offline. I don't know how many of these kids are doing activism on, you know, TikTok and Twitter and Tumblr for clout and how much of that actually carries into their interpersonal lives. Um, But yeah, Gert, like one thing that is not debatable or questionable at all is that Gert is really mean. And the show kind of makes excuses for her because she has like a uh, near debilitating level of, of anxiety that she takes medication for. Um, and it's like, okay, sis, hurt people hurt people, but like, and you have anxiety and it's a mental health condition, but what are your actual problems? You have a younger sister, Molly, who loves you. You have parents who love and support you. You've never dealt with the kind of loss that Nico, for example, has dealt with of the loss of a sibling. You are very privileged. So, like, what are your actual problems that cause you to be so horrible to people? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was just like, she doesn't have the right to be this mean. Like, like, where is this energy coming from? And, like, Gert also is someone who clearly suffers from, like, a compromised sense of self-esteem. And the target of that is Carolina, who's also very nice. Like... Carolina is really nice to people. And part of that is just her overall personality. And part of that is just how she's been raised as a member of the Church of Gaborum. And it's like, that girl can't help it that she's attractive to people. (laughs) It's not her fault. (laughs) It's not her fault. Which you think would enter into Gert because, like, that social justice is her whole thing. And she's like, 
taking on the patriarchy, feminism, but like, no, which I don't, which in a sense I don't hate because I feel like, sure, like, but that's life, right? That's teenagers. Um, that, that rings true that maybe she wouldn't quite like, she wouldn't quite clock that in her mind that Carolina can't really help her shit either. Um, and find sisterhood, but then the show doesn't use it. You know what I mean? The show never like takes that route and like addresses it head on. Like Carolina never just like, is like, I can't help my situation. Like I like, and, and the show never addresses Gert's like meanness. Like the, and I don't know if the show thinks it's funny that Gert's mean or like, it's or like her meanness was supposed to be comical, but it's not like, and it hurts because, like, once the character, once I think they 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 start to level out this character and they take away her being so mean, she doesn't really have a character left. Mm, come through with it. Um, that's a sermon. Like, and uh, again, I'm not saying that a p- person needs a reason to be angry. Well, actually, yeah, I am. Um, mental illness, you can't control that. But if you're out here just spewing anger and projecting on everybody, at least come with the issues. Because other than Alex, Gert is in the very best situation, like, as far as life and family goes. Nico lost her sister. Molly lost her parents. Okay? Chase's dad is f- physically and verbally abusive to him and his mom. Like... Like, Carolina is in this shady-ass church, and she knows that there's something weird, there's something off about her, but her mom won't talk to her about it, about about what it is. And they're literally pimping her out to seduce teenagers into joining their church. So, like, Gert, like, put on your big girl panties, (laughs) accept your lot in life. And you'll be so much happier that way because one of the big tenets of feminism is not objectifying people, right? So why are you envious of Carolina and the way she's objectified by the people around her? And we see this from the very first episode. The um, the lacrosse players are trying to get her to come to some party. And she's like, no, no, no. But then she ends up coming and they um, get her drunk and um, one of them tries to sexually assault her and Chase saves her. Like right. this is what she's this is what girl is dealing with in her life where like she can't trust her parents. She can't trust literally anyone around her because of who she is as far as her mom is concerned and her not knowing she's an alien hybrid yet and what she looks like when it comes to human boys. <laughs> Baby, why why are you why are we envious of this? And even when Car- when Gert finds out what happened and how Chase saved um Carolina She's like, you know, a little uh, bitter Betty the whole time. For what? For what? Like, because like, cause she's like, oh, Chase likes her too. I'm like, okay, but like, you're really mean to Chase. Have you like, like, have right. you ever stopped and like thought about like how mean you are to him? And she is. She is so mean. <laughs> like from jump, she is just so nasty to him for no reason. Like. Right. And Chase didn't like her in the beginning. He was fixated on Carolina because of the meanness. Like, can we talk about how tired it is to have this trope of the guy who, or the guy, or the girl in this example, who is mean to their love interest to intentionally push them away and test them? Right. And this is part of what I was saying in, in that, like, if the show had used it, 
right? If the show had like confronted these issues, if Gert and Carolina had had a conversation, if Gert had gone through some transformation and said she's sorry, then then fine. All of this would be fine, right? Because it's about it's introducing something to resolve to and they resolve it, right? But it's mm-hmm. the fact that they just let it go, that it's never resolved, it's never talked about. It's just like it's one of the little things that that's part of the series that builds up. But all the, these kids, these archetypes are strange. Like I don't, so Chase, let's get into Chase for a minute. So Chase is, um, he's supposed to be like, you know, our dumb, like quote unquote dumb jock, but like he's smart, like, and he's like kind of mean, but like, he's none of those things. Like he's not mean for all intents and purposes. He's just sort of like, a person who's alive in the world <laughs> like mm-hmm. and he um is going a- and he's just trying to survive his father but like it's complicated because he loves his father but also this actor aged out of this these teen shows a while ago like he yeah. needs to he needs to go beyond free form now yeah i agree with that um Besides Greg Sokin, I feel like you said it being aged out of this role. I do think that Chase um, was written pretty pretty well, had a decent backstory. And I like the complexity of the character because they could have made him the, the dumb, mean jock. But he's not dumb and he's not mean. Um, the runaways initially treat him like he's dumb at first because he's hidden his intelligence for years. And part of that is because of how he's been abused by his father. Both he and his mom feel the need to dumb themselves down to kind of um, pedestal their father, his father's genius, right? Um, I thought that was really, really smart and insightful. And it actually reminded me of the Pacey character on Dawson's Creek, who was like constantly belittled by his dad. And like thought he was was shit, and then he like you know left Cape Side, made himself, and kind of showed that he like had all this talent. Um, I really appreciated um, the portrayal of that character. I appreciated the portrayal of the Carolina character as a really beautiful girl who um, who didn't fall into the trope of oh I have no idea how pretty I am, but like was aware that she was good looking, but was also aware that how you treat people matters more. I appreciated that as well. I appreciated that Molly was an adoptee who wasn't like, who hadn't like completely, um, who just like never talked about her, her biological parents. Cause I don't like that portrayal either. I like the fact that Molly remembered her parents and missed her parents, even though she was grateful to and appreciative of, and had grown to love Dale and Stacy. Um, but yeah, like I said, the like you said, the the Gert character was a hard pill to swallow because she was very mean. Um, she was mean to guys. She was mean to girls. Um, she was also very um, patronizing to anyone that she felt wasn't as socially aware as she is. And I think the closest anyone came to calling her out on it was Chase when she used his identity to try to get her anxiety medication. And he pretty much, like, she put him in a situation where he would be forced to speak with his mother, who he had run away from. They'd all run away by this point um, because she didn't want to confront her parents. So, like, basically throwing him under the bus to get her needs met. And Chase calls her out on it because she's constantly testing him and she's constantly pushing him away. And it's all about Gert. It's the Gert show, basically. It's the Gert show. 
he's sick of it. We're all sick of it. And it makes it so hard to like this character. Even the fact that she's telepathically linked with her with her parents' dinosaur that they bioengineered doesn't make her more likable. I actually like the dinosaur more than Gert. <laughs> like, and it's like, like I said, I think they were trying to be funny, but like in order for that to work, it has to be like a back and forth with I mean re like re Gert and Chase. Um so example, never have I ever, the character, Devi, she also, there's a love interest, one of her white male love interests um, that she gets with at the end of the show. The whole season, they sort of snipe at each other, but it's, um, they're both really mean to each other, but like, it's a, it's a back and forth, right? Like it's, and there's like a very specific rhythm to it. Um, and that's why that works is because he's mean as well. It can't just be um, her be and like the meanness is sort of like a, an underscore for like sexual tension. Now that has its own problems, specifically uh, in regards to that show, like in that context. But it but it does work. Like at least on screen, it's it's if. It, it works um, for what it's supposed to be doing, I suppose. But this, like, doesn't have... Runaways doesn't have any of that. Also, I feel like Runaways could have stood to be, like, funnier. Yeah, I feel like the show attempted humor a little bit more when the kids, you know, ran away and they were living in that huge underground mansion and there were moments of levity there. And I feel like the Molly character was funny and not like slapstick funny or token funny. I feel like again, her character is the 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 I feel the most actualized in regards to how actual teenagers behave. And it could be because of her age because I feel like no, I know that Allegra Acosta it was the youngest member of the cast and a lot of these people were in their 20s on the show. And I think that's why she brought this levity and this kind of sincerity of the adolescent experience to it. But Molly was vastly underutilized. And I mean, the show the show actually speaks on this. She's like, you guys don't take me seriously because she's so much younger than the other runaways. But um, the Molly character is, you know, those those moments few and far between are when we get some type of levity. And I think even if we didn't get more humor... Without two things, without the backstory of Leslie's mom having been, like, um, excommunicated from the church, and without this constant girt testing, putting down, and validating the feelings of Chase, it would have been easier to watch. There's so much... No, I know we've been like, ugh, girt, but there's so much about this show that is actually really interesting. In fact... I feel like I would have liked this show. I feel like another thing is, is that I would have liked this show better if all this like Marvel stuff like wasn't in it. <laughs> like, if, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like it would be a, un, interestingly enough, I think it would be a stronger. Okay. I can talk. Um, I think it would be a stronger <laughs> show. I think it would be a stronger show if all the Marvel stuff wasn't in it. Um, because there's a lot that's coming through in these dynamics of uh, the church and stuff that's so interesting and so rich um, that I felt just it needed more time. It needed to be able to breathe, but it, it can't because, uh, you know, they're they're running to sort of rush and fulfill 
um, this, this stuff, like all this other stuff, you know, with the aliens and the witches and the, the dinosaur that's happening around it. Yeah, I mean, the dinosaur old lace is cute. And again, a, a huge relief from the way Gert acts 90% of the time. Um, but I could have done without it. I also could have done without the he- very heavy Wicca element of season three. I'll talk more about that. If it had simply been running away from our parents, the Church of Gaborm is evil, Jonah is evil. I could have rocked with that because again, we have so much backstory for so many of these characters that the the plot is already incredibly dense. Right. Listen, and I agree with you. I completely agree with that. Um, that's one, and that's one of my notes. I was like, you either want witches or you want aliens. You can't have both. Like, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> too much like decide decide what you're trying to do and i think that and i think that part the the witches plus aliens is probably um a holdover from the actual comics Mm -hmm. um because that's usually how it is uh but that's why that's a comic strip and this is why this is a tv show um comics as a medium can do a lot of weird crap because like they're comic books um they don't necessarily have to make sense. Um, right, and they, they're they're very rarely linear when you have this many issues. They right. branch off, you know, like the like the branches of a tree. They're very, very, very rarely linear. It's like a soap opera. You can just pick up issue thirty and just jump right in. <laughs> right, and that's how that's how they're written. That's how they're designed. Right. So let's discuss season one a little bit more. Um, do you have some standout episodes of of the 10 episodes of season one? Um, because a lot happened in season one. And, um, I mean, we had Nico, you know, getting the staff of one and finding out that she was, like, a real witch. Which I could have rocked with, honestly, if she'd been the only witch we'd been exposed to, like her and her mom. Um, I think season one was, was actually pretty strong. Um, but do you have any standout episodes from that season? Um, not in particular, but I do also, um, I, there's, I think I have just some like moments, like the part where they find like the underground bunker thing is cool. Um, I do like the Darius character that we're introduced to. Um, Yeah, that's season one. Yeah, okay. I do like the Darius character that we're introduced to. He's interesting from Jump, and I'm glad we get to see more of him eventually in season two. And I love... um, I like the... The Metamorphosis episode. I think that's the episode where we get all, like, the sort of full background range on on Chase's father and, and mother and, like, how that all came to be. Right, right. Um, I I think this 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 season had a lot of strong episodes. I also really enjoyed the Darius character, and I would have liked to see more of him, um, like throughout the series. Um, strong actor, just strong everything. Um, let's see, uh, Darius, 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 Darius. I'm gonna find the actor's name because I didn't say it earlier, but he's a really strong character, so I, I feel I should say it. Um, Devon Nixon plays Darius Davis, and Devon Nixon is like an OG. You might not have seen him in a lot, but he's been acting for a really long time. He is probably his best role is actually probably in Terminator 2: Judgment Day, 
as Skynet, the Skynet creator's son, and in The Bodyguard as the son of Whitney Houston's character, Fletcher. Mm. Um, um, but he's been out here in these streets for a long time, and I think the Darius character was the most I'd seen of him insofar as time on screen, dialogue, and range. And I really appreciated. it. I thought the Darius character was very tight. Um, I would probably say my favorite episode of season one was probably that um, that open that season opener reunion. Um, First of all, I think it's a, it's it's incredible to already give us a cast of characters who already know each other. We're not playing the get to know you game, right? Um, we're thrown into this dynamic of this very fractured friendship that's hanging on by a thread. We're thrown into this reunion. We're thrown into the situation where they're they're finding out exactly what type of people their parents are and it doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel forced um one thing i will give the show credit for these parents actually feel like they've been like associates i wouldn't say friends they don't really they don't really like each other but they fuck with each other <laughs> um because of of jonah but they feel like they've been associates for many years and their friend their kids feel like real friends the the chemistry is very tight in the cast um I think I wrote down somewhere that uh, I feel like particularly the Yorkses and the Wilders actually feel like married couples. Mm. No, that's real. Oh, another thing is that I do think it was brave. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. Brave. I do think it's brave that this show sort of went full in on the church of Gaborum because like the church of Gaborum is clearly a, once again, it's a cipher for Scientology. Um, uh, uh, as it stands now. And I, and most importantly, I think it's really, uh, she met the church of mythology, you guys. <laughs> no, don't like kill us. Scientology. <laughs> uh, I do think it's interesting. I do like that. They sort of comment on how, like, because like, it's so widely known now, like what their practices are and like that their practices are mad sketchy. Um, I do think it's interesting that the show did comment full on on how, like, how uh, they prey on, like, vulnerable people, because um, mm-hmm. that is what they do. Like, uh, and I've seen it for myself up close in in Los Angeles. Like, they do. They prey on vulnerable people. Um, they take people who are, like, like, they absolutely sort of scoop up the homeless population in LA and um, then do mad sketchy things with them. And and that is something that I think people don't know or like don't realize or are not like aware of. Um, and they do it under the guise of like exactly how the Torch of Gaborum does it. They do it under the guise of like quote unquote helping people. Um, but, you know, we know better. Uh, everybody knows better. Um, everybody who's not like in there knows better. So I, I thought that was really brave and interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. There's many things I loved about season one, but I think it's portrayal of, of you know, like you said, this predatory church organization, as well as um, its portrayal of the youth, it's particularly the, the, the homeless youth of L.A., I thought was really, really um, profound. I mean, besides this show, I think Angel and Buffy were the only other shows that, that showed homeless teenagers. Like, like homeless teenagers right. was a thing. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but it is, it's, it's a thing. And homelessness is an epidemic um, in the United States, particularly in LA. And a okay. lot of that is homeless youth, um, you know, homeless, um, especially homeless um, um, LGBTQ um, youth. And this girl destiny that we meet, it's, it's, it's actually this character. We don't, we don't see her for long. She's sacrificed by the parents, but the way that it happens actually shows you like it, it alleviates any doubt that you might've had that these parents are evil because going into the show, you read the premise, you're like, it must be a misunderstanding. Their parents can't be that horrible. Parents never did anything to them. Right. You could think that, but you go into the series. Destiny is a home. Destiny was a drug addicted runaway um, or a, a homeless youth when they found her. They cleaned her up, and she wants to go back home to her daughter. Right? She right. has a daughter. Um, and Leslie's like, "No, girl, you can go later. Like, we really need you." And she's trying to leave to go back to her child and be a parent. And so in killing her, they don't just take the life of this teenage girl like they've been doing with all these teenagers. Like It's like what one teenager a month for like the last 20 years or something. They've mm-hmm. also created a, a seemingly endless cycle of abandonment and poverty and neglect because now her daughter doesn't have a mother. There's no one coming back home. Right. Right. Because <laughs> we, we see that brief phone call. There's somebody on the when she does call home. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there, she's like so and so, and like uh, there's someone on the the other line, and she's like, "Destiny, come home," and she's like, "No." And then, and it's even more heartbreaking when she meets Carolina very briefly, and Carolina's like, "Oh, your mom like changed my life, right?" Mm-hmm. And then the episode where they like actually show her dying, and like she looks up at the parents, and she says, I- "I'm afraid. I'm afraid." Whew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that broke me. That like, broke honestly, me. that was some excellent writing. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to give credit where it's due. The writing for the adults on the show and the writing, uh, ironically enough, for the supporting characters is so strong. It's so strong. It is strong. <laughs> like, it's just the, it's that, you know, it is. I feel like they have a handle on it. It's just, um, they don't seem to be about these teenagers that much, which is fine. It just, um, it just needed to, they just needed to say so. It's, yeah, so season one, where are we at? Good, bad, or basic? I'm going to give season one a very solid good. I think it's good despite, you know, what they did with the, the Nico character, what they did with the Gert character. I thought it was very good. And these things are things I could have moved past because the rest of it was so tight. Same. I will. I'm gonna give Marvel Marvel Runaways season one. I'm gonna give it a solid good as well. I I I mess with it. There are lots of, I think, really wonderful moments. The show in season one is at its best when it sort of leans on these classic teen tropes. Um, that's when the show I think no like really feels great, and they do, and and that's good, and I like it. So season yeah. two. Season two, we get 13 episodes. Now, by this point, the Runaways have, in fact, run away. At the end of season one, Alex made a deal with his partner, with his father's former partner and former bestie, Darius. Now, a little backstory on the Darius character, because it's wildly important to the history of the Wilder family. Darius and Alex's father, Jeffrey, used to run together from the time they were like preteens, maybe even younger. 
They were in and out of gangs together. They, they were in and out of illicit activities together. And at one point, um, the point where Darius or Jeffrey meets his his um his future wife Catherine, Alex's mom, they were locked up together. Um, Jonah saw a talent in Jeffrey. He saw something special in Jeffrey. He wanted Jeffrey out, and he used Catherine to get Jeffrey out. She fell in love with him in the meantime. But one of the things that they one of the one of the, the the options to get him out of prison was to have somebody else take the rap for what he was currently in prison for. And that person was his best friend, Darius. He told Darius, take the rap for me. I have this deal going. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to take care of your family, specifically Darius's grandmother. And because I was his best friend and he felt he could believe Jeffrey's word, Darius took this rap for him. Jeffrey, for reasons that we still don't fully understand, did not keep this very simple promise. <laughs> right. <laughs> you had the money. Like, the shit you said would happen actually happened for you, and then some. He was richer than he could have ever imagined and couldn't keep this very simple promise, even after, the story tells us, Darius's grandmother raised him. Right. It's ugly. So what we know about the Wilders is that they really don't have any loyalty to anyone except each other and their kid. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> like, no loyalties whatsoever to be found. Like, I really fuck with Jeffrey and Catherine as a couple because, like I said, besides the Yorkses, I feel like the Wilders give me that married couple energy. Catherine and Jeffrey are really ride or die for each other. I love it. I love the black love. I wish it didn't come in the sinister packaging, but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> they are. They feel like, um, they feel like a, like, um, like a CIA, like, sort of spy couple family yeah they do that's, that's definitely like the vibe it's a vibe um besides uh jeffrey and um besides jeffrey and Catherine, the other black couple on the show that i really like are darius and his girlfriend um gosh i forget her name is it livy oh, yeah. or was livy her sister I don't, that's such a good question. I don't, I don't know, but like they were really ride or die for each other. Oh no, Tamar, Darius and Tamar. Um, Livia's Tamar's little sister, but Darius and Tamar was also giving me like very solid ride or die goals. And not just like she's dying, riding and dying for him. Like these men were really in it for these women as well, which I really like to see. But um, to wrap things up, Catherine and Jeffrey are trash. They don't know how to keep their promises. They don't know how to keep their word. It actually backfires on Alex and almost gets him and his friends killed. Right. So <laughs> what happens is that, at least in the first season, Alex gets scooped up, right? Mm-hmm. He gets scooped up by Darius, and Darius is like, anytime you want to come through with your promises, feel free. Um, and uh, Alex is... Alex sort of, um, he's not like, I mean, he's afraid, but then he like, he's also like, they, Alex and Darius come to an understanding with each other. So when they, so in season two, when they run away, run away, um, Alex goes to Darius for like, basically, you know, uh, on the run money, um, which Darius provides. Uh, and then uh, when Alex needs more, a relationship and a bond is formed between Darius, Tamar, 
there. Uh, the the girl that really pretty black girl. What's her name again? Oh, uh, Tamar's sister, Livy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Livy and a bond is formed between like basically Darius's family and Alex, and and Alex basically starts to to find his place because he's feeling Alex is feeling like what's his purpose? Because Alex's superpower is that he's just like super smart. Um, mm-hmm. he's a nerd, and everybody else has like their cool like little powers slash slash techno gadgets and he's feeling a little lost and he's trying to find himself and find his purpose and find or and try to be like a better person than than his father and his parents right and this honestly like this whole deal as and and we see them trying to like you know you know well not trying but very organically bonding in season two Ironically enough, reminded me of the relationship between um, Tariq and Kanan in power. When, like, Tariq finds out that his his father is a whole lying, messy-ass drug dealer, and he's not a man of his word, and he's a horrible person, and Tariq forms a bond with Kanan, the last person he'd betrayed. <laughs> um the difference is that Darius is not like Kanan. He's actually like a, a good person. He's still caught up in this street life because he did all that time for um for Jeffrey because he was actually serving a lighter sentence at the time than Jeffrey before he confessed to Jeffrey's crime. So confessing to this actually like fucked up the whole trajectory of his life. And he's still bitter about it and he's still mad about it and he still owed his money, like hashtag reparations. But he understands and values Alex and and what Alex brings to the table. And, and, you know, very quickly he realizes that Alex is not his father and he grows to trust this kid. And they have a really great relationship. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so season two. Season two, we come in into season two and where... Like I said, the team is uh, adjusting to to life on the run. Um, they're not particularly good at it. Uh, that underground mansion they find, though, oof, when I tell you, I was like, oof, somebody, like, shower or, like, clean or, like, something. The fact that... I mean, like, they had I, electricity, girl. They got, they got themselves a little power grid. I would have just chilled out because rent is too damn high. I was just like, oh, I was just like, I because he they get there and um, they're like, oh, there's no running water. I'm like, ooh, how are we gonna shout? But like, maybe that's just, maybe that's just me like being um, like I don't know, like lame. But um, I was just like, oh gosh, I because like they that's don't valid. Sh- Hygiene matters. <laughs> Because, like, that's just something in general. No, that's just something in general. When they're running around, I'm like, when does anybody take a bath? Because there's a, there's, there's a certain point where, like, they're, they really do look like they, they're, like, physically dirty. Like, there's just dirt on them. And I'm like, when? And then I'm like, yeah, when's the last time somebody took a shower? <laughs> um, uh, oh, so maybe this is me being goofy. But, like... I didn't realize that, like, for, so the whole time I thought Gert, both Gert and Molly were adopted, but, like, Gert is supposed to be their biological child. And I was like, huh? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, Gert is their biological child. She doesn't look anything like these actors that they cast as her parents, but I guess she girl. doesn't. I was like, because, and when I realized, I was like, wait, like she's white? Like, <laughs> right. Y'all, you stop trying to convince me that this girl's white. I mean, I guess she's whitish. She's whitish. Um, she's but like, y'all got the palest, most freckled white woman to play her mom. Make it make sense. <laughs> It's a lot. Oh my gosh. And to the point where I looked up this actor, like I usually don't look up actors like like racial background or ethnicity because I think it's kind of silly because I'm a big believer in that like whatever you are, like whatever your phenotype is, whatever I like I perceive you as is visually that's what matters on like in the context of um like television or like work or you know what I mean not in Mm -hmm. the context of life obviously you get to self-identify but like um on television it's like it's whatever like I see to my eye and I was like she's clearly brown of some sort (laughs) right like like and and the thing is the the Gert character is specifically a character that we know is not lying on somebody's beach getting a tan that's her color Right. This is like her color. <laughs> like, so I was like, wait a second. How are y'all? What is going on? <laughs> what are you what kind of like magic are y'all trying to make me believe in? And it's um, interesting because like you said, um, they do I thought that they were biological sisters until I was like three episodes into season one. Um, and I kept uh, seeing, uh, hearing people refer to Molly as Hernandez and Gert as Yorks. And I'm like, okay. And then they they pretty much say later on that they brought Molly home to live with them after her parents had died. Um, now, the Molly Hayes character was actually is white in the comics. Molly, But they, they, cha- they reimagined her as Molly Hayes Hernandez when Allegra Acosta was cast in the role. Um, because I guess they wanted to keep the identity of the character as a Latina, like the the um, actress. But y'all really couldn't, like, I don't know, do something with Gert. Because do something I, with Gert. That's all I'm. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> like, it's a lot. It's a whole it's, lot. It's so much, and it's like I'm not saying tell that actress to stay out of the sun, but like it was. It's Yeah, it's it's weird when it's like. I'm just like, she's not white. (laughs) I'm just looking at her like, she's not white. She's like, she's like you said, she's white-ish. Maybe she's half white, which she actually is in life. (laughs) She's half white. There's obviously some Caucasian DNA there. There. It's it's unmistakable. But like, baby's not white. She's other. Like, tell tell us what that other is. Because it ain't, it ain't whatever Stacey and Dale is. (laughs) Like, I I would have, I thought like, and listen, my dumb behind was like, maybe it's a plot. Like, I thought it was going to be like a plot device. <laughs> right, right. Like, right. they were going to run up and be like, oh, like, like her mom was going to be like, oh, that, remember that one time I fucked like Raul? Right. Girl, like, like, like they, you know how they could have done this? They could have done it like Stacy wanted to bring Molly home so bad, not just because of guilt. And we'll talk about that in a minute of why they feel guilty about Molly's parents. But because maybe she was having an affair with Molly's dad. And that's who Gert's dad really is. Right? That's what I thought was going to happen. Something like that. (laughs) Um, Like, but, um. But let's talk a bit more about the Molly character really quickly. Yeah. So the Molly character lost her parents. Her parents died in this, like, freak accident that no one's been able to piece together. 
And she somehow survived. Um, there were like these extraterrestrial rocks um, that her parents were researching, looking at. And when the explosion happened, the the rocks ex- the rocks absorbed that that Molly was sitting near absorbed it, and then released that energy into her body. Um, the energy has just been sitting there dormant, but on the show she gets her first period, and that's when her powers start to manifest. When they run away, she meets a young man who's addicted to these rocks, the same rocks they gave her her power, but like he's addicted to them. Like, because they give him power, but very briefly. Um, It's not like with her where the energy was just transferred into her body. He can siphon a little bit at a time. And it's interesting because he, this man, this young man looks so much like the actress Allegra Acosta. They look like family. And Molly is someone who the idea of family and finding family, finding relatives of her parents is very important to her. And so she kind of wants the group to take him in, this young man named Topher. She wants the group to take him in because she feels like, well, he kind of looks like me. And he claims that he has the same power as her. So she wants to believe that he's her family. And I kind of liked how they constantly pulled us back into this narrative of Molly is dealing with the trauma of her parents' death and the trauma of adoption. And I thought that was really interesting writing. No, absolutely. Um, the show is strongest, and the show is absolutely at its best when it best when it focuses on story, like the one you just said. When it when it's focusing on story that feels grounded in something real, something real emotional. When they don't get wrapped up in like the Gaborum and the the dinosaur, and I just I don't like the dinosaur. I'm just gonna put it out there, but um, <laughs> and. The, the Gaborim and, like, the, the witch stuff, when they ground that all in real stuff, like like the Molly plot, the show is really at its best. Like, I I see it for the show. I'm like, yes, this is it. Like, this is, this is, this is it. This is the heart of, of what this show needed to be. But, um, you know, no, no, why? Right. Like, and that's, that's what bothers me. Like, like, you know, the, the the issues with Molly, I thought were really strong. The issues with Jace, with Chase and his parents and the abuse that they deal with, with his father, I thought were very strong. Um, Robert Minoru and Janet Stein having an affair, I thought was also very strong, very cool piece of writing because they're both in strained marriages. Right. Right. Um, or, or her, like he's in a strained marriage. She's in a flat out abusive one. Um, it, like things like that, situations like that, help me connect to the characters. And I agree about old lace, by the way, the dinosaur old lace. I really feel like this was a plot device um, to make Gert more likable because that's the only time we see the softer side of Gert for a long time is when she's dealing with that damn dinosaur. Oh yeah, that damn damn dinosaur. And I I also figured that was just something from the comic, something that was like iconic from. Because it feels like something from a comic book that feels mm-hmm. like weird and kooky. Um, so yeah, so by season two, Gert and like Chase are a thing, and I'm worried for Chase because I wonder if he's like just like replicating abusive patterns that he's like grown up to think are normal and is like still holding on to in some ways. <laughs> thank, <laughs> in no, thank life. you for saying that because like I have a real problem with Gert and Chase and y'all going to hate us because we're, it sounds like we're beating a dead horse, but it's not just the fact that she constantly tests Chase. She puts Chase down. 
She constantly Cute. expresses surprise when he does something smart or considerate, which is often. She constantly is talking about what she wants in life, but rarely asks him what he wants. She knows the situation of, of his, his parents, particularly his father, but put him in a compromising situation in order to get her needs met and get her medication. It is abusive, and honestly, if if roles were reversed, we could see just how abusive that relationship is. And I do feel like in being with Gert, he is replicating patterns of seeking love and seeking approval from someone who is trying to make him earn their love. Right, and, and once again, if the show addressed it, if the show was like, if the show had a plot where, like, she does these things and, like, if there is a scenario that maybe, like, even if it's accidentally Gert, like, slaps him the way that his father used to slap him. Because there's this really incredible scene with James Marsters and, like, a child that's, like, young Chase, right? And mm-hmm. James Marsters slaps him when he, uh, like, talks back. Um but and it's not like it's like it's like granted you shouldn't hit your kids but like um period but it's a really vicious hit and uh if there had if there was something where like a scene where even accidentally um gert hits chase like chase now um in like a similar scenario, then it would be like, okay, now we're going to address it. And then Chase is like, wait, I'm doing a thing that I know is unhealthy. That like, I saw my mom get put through and that I've been put through and I'm going to choose to like, end this, then all the other stuff before is fine. Right. Because it's all serving a, a bigger purpose within the narrative. Right. Right. And we can talk about how, you know, Gert's self, um, Gert's being like completely self-absorbed is toxic to not just Chase, but the group at large. Large. Um, it's, it's, it's real. I mean, honestly, we didn't even have to make her violent because I know she's a feminist and that would have like completely ruined her clout. But like anything like mild, even like. Um, you know, why is it always about you, Gert? Or, you know, I have I have an opinion too. And not letting the Gert character brush it off. Giving Kurt some backup, letting maybe the other runaways chime in here and be like, yeah, Gert, you always do this and it's kind of fucked up. Please stop doing this. <laughs> Please stop doing this. Then it's like, okay, this is all for a purpose. Like this all but right now it's just going and it's so uncomfortable to watch. And it's uncomfortable to watch because one, it's just uncomfortable. And then two, because had this been reversed, like people would have gone up. Like up. And and like, rightfully so. And rightfully it's so. Up. It's <laughs> yeah. And it's like weird that like um it's just weird that like it's weird that like there's like a whole fandom around um Gert and Chase and like a whole I don't know I don't understand it I'm not gonna I don't stand them at all like at all and I just want to put this out there dating a feminist does not mean that you should be putting up with verbal or psychological abuse routine put downs or negging of any sort I'm just putting that out there and she she engaged in all of that literally the only like teen couple I was really fucking with on this show were Alex and Livy I said what I said (laughs) (laughs) they're so sweet 
Um, oh, and it's so cute and organic and like, and it feels like a real teen relationship. Like Alex is very mature, yes, and Livy is very mature, but it feels very, very grounded in reality. And it feels specifically grounded in the reality of a black teen couple. Right. So let, uh, let's talk about Alex and Livy. So Alex meets Livy through Darius um, when he's doing jobs for Darius. Um, and Livy comes in in season two and she is just the absolute sweetest. Oh, the so sweetest. Sweet. And then she oh offers to braid that boy's hair. And I was like, yes, it's about to go down. And she gives him the tightest little cornrows in the world. And it's so cute. <laughs> It's so cute. It is. Although when she like started with the comb and then like no grease, I was like, what? Like, yeah, I f- no, I feel like that's an oversight from like the props department. <laughs> I, I needed to see that, that jar of blue magic. Same. I was like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> like, I needed it. I needed it. And then myself. also the fact that she like, they're sitting on the couch, like, next to each other versus, like, him sitting between her legs because that's how you braid. But, like, whatever. Um, I'm... Right. It's fine. I get it. There Maybe there weren't, like, a lot of black people on set that day. Uh, right. Well, or, it's, or, it's, it's, it's good, though. Like, it's a healthy relationship. I mean, Nico and Carolina are great. And... By season two, I actually believe that there's real chemistry between them. Because I feel like showing us that Nico had a crush on, or Carolina had a crush on Nico, was almost like a last minute idea. It feels like anyway. Mm. We, I didn't get this from their first interactions for like the first half of season one. It just feels like it came out of nowhere at the end of season one. Oh, but, okay. But, like, by season two, I believe that Carolina has real feelings for her. But, like, even that relationship is kind of toxic because Nico's so in her feelings that even when she talks to Carolina and they have very constructive conversations, she just says, fuck it, and does whatever she wants anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. Okay. So, yeah. So, I got, like, I remember, so when, because there is a moment where Carolina catches Nico and Alex kissing and Carolina looks really deflated. Like, she looks really sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't... I guess the what I wanted was to be... Okay, so I'm a big fan of... Big fan of non-dialogue dialogue. Like, body language type of dialogue. I feel like a lot of shows don't do body language very well. And if you're a writer, an actor, anything... The show that I recommend, and we'll be discussing this in a future season... A masterclass on body language saying more than words is the Americans. I wanted to see more like furtive looks and shy glances. Pretty much the way that they had um, Gert acting whenever she thought Chase wasn't looking. That's Mm. what I wanted to see between with Carolina and Nico. Mm. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, that's a hard one because it's all in the, because you can write that out, right? That, like, Alex kisses, you know, Alex and Nico kiss. Carolina walks in. She's deflated. But it's like, um, but then now that you've, now that that's written, you now have to turn that over to somebody who actually knows how to get that to come across on screen, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think the problem, because I see what you're saying. Um, I think the problem is, like, one of those things is that, um it's a really tricky thing with like directing and editing. Cause when I think about it, like the stuff, like how that gets translated well is like 
usually there's like a medium and then there's like a close, right? Mm-hmm. There's like mm-hmm. a cl- like there's a close up of like the actor's face and then they have the reaction and then maybe there's like a cut to the to the offending vision of whatever they're like reacting to and then there's a cut back to the close whereas when it happens it happens very quickly mm-hmm. um uh and there's no and it's just like this medium shot they have of her there's no like cut to to close you know right and we need things like that and i i honestly like would have liked to see that in the f- the season opener reunion cuz when reunion comes around, they haven't seen each other in a while. So you see, you're in this intimate situation. They're like playing Twister or whatever. Um, they're talking. I would have liked to see that initial spark in her face and her eyes when she's in close proximity with Nico again after all, well, not after all these years, but after like this like one and a half, two years. That would have been nice to see. Um, but like I said, I believe that relationship. I just can't stand it the way that I stand Alex and Livy because Alex and Livy, I feel even though their relationship was wrapped up in like subterfuge and betrayal, you know, and regarding Alex's father and Darius, their relationship existed in a space that I feel didn't have any um, toxicity or lies or miscommunications. Right. And I think what's, also interesting and and really beautiful I think about that story is um uh is that ultimately because Livy is Tamar's sister like sister yes I'm sorry I keep forgetting (laughs) no Um, you're good her is that like ultimately like it's two two warring families that are finding healing right through Mm -hmm. through their romance that like there is a possibility that like things could be fixed between them. Through, yeah, I was giving in, me in some a, Romeo Juliet vibes, right? In a new in a new generation, and um, why I partic- why I particularly love that. One of the reasons why I really really love that is that usually like when shows are trying to to bring that idea across, or um, yeah, when shows are trying to bring that i that idea across of like two families or like two different people finding or two different groups finding healing in like the next generation. Usually they want to do it with like literally the most toxic elements of like our culture. Like they want it to be like, like it's like a black and white couple and like their white family, like was like racist and like lynched like somebody's uncle or something, like something really horribly toxic that like nobody should ever, ever forgive somebody for ever right or it's like um this like horribly toxic uh person like used like used to kill lgbtq people and now like they find out their like daughters lgbtq and now they're gonna do they're all gonna come together and it's all gonna be happy and it's like the problem with those stories is that like like I said, they're toxic and they suck. Um, and Mm -hmm. they're not, they don't capture. And I feel like there's always a, there's like a messaging there of like, turn the other cheek, hurt people. (laughs) Right. Like no, no calls for accountability. Just like it's in the past. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. (laughs) Right. Um, but, uh, what's so great about Livy and Alex is that Alex is sort of, um, Alex's 
reckoning one he's reckoning with his his father's sins right mm-hmm. and then he's in in whether he realizes it or not he is paying for them in the form of working for Darius right, right. and um and also it's it's just not toxic it's not toxic like those other stories are toxic and then there and there's no impetus of this and there's no impetus uh, or like other messaging of like just forgive and forget like whatever it's fine we all love each other now or some sort of or some other bullshit like that it's yeah it's like just, we got to do the work <laughs> right you got to do the work and it does feel like real healing between two families and i and i love that it, it's really it really is quite quite a beautiful story it is and i can't stress enough how much i love the attention to detail, the backstories of characters like Alex and Molly are given. That means like so much to me coming into a show like this because a lot of times they put the this Latinx character and they put this Black character there to fill space. We get what's going on with them right now, but we don't get anything about their past, anything about their motivations. We don't really get anything to help the audience understand the character and their present day actions. And I really love that we got so much backstory on the Wilder family and on, um, you know, Molly and her parents and and what led them to their actions today. Because there's nothing, literally nothing that Alex and Molly did for the duration of the show that doesn't make sense to me because we got that backstory. Right. No, um, absolutely. I love it. And we could have had a happy ending, but if it hadn't been for meddling ass Catherine Wilder. <laughs> She's so evil. She's so like I thought she was just like a hard ass bitch in, in season one. But like in season two, I realized she's actually a terrible person. And she says she does all these things to protect Jeffrey, but really she's just hateful. <laughs> I was like, why, Catherine? <laughs> like, we could have been why great. Why did you do this? <laughs> we could have had it all, girl. <laughs> had it all. So what happens is that, like, um, Jeffries and, and Darius finally settle their issues, right? Mm-hmm. And Alex uh, is returned to Jeffries. And then Catherine just comes through. And she's like, and Darius like tells them and and well Catherine says that Jeffries doesn't know that she's there. And then she pop takes out a gun and she's like, pop, pop, bitch. And she kills Darius. And it's horrible. It's horrible for so many reasons. It's horrible because like like we just said, we have this really beautiful sort of healing with between these two former friends and families. And then um and then that's ruined. And then furthermore, Tamar is now left without a father for her child. We just breaking up families on this show. You got Molly, who was orphaned because, <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, skip the next five seconds if you haven't watched the show. Pride killed her parents. Right. Um, you, you have Destiny, whose who's, who's, um, child is motherless. And we can probably presume fatherless. We can probably assume Destiny was a single teen mom um, when um, Pride kills Destiny in season one. And now we have Tamar's child, who's also going to grow up without a father, like her and her sister Livy did, which is really fucked up. 
it's really fucked up. And we know Darius and Jeffrey, um, their parents weren't around. They were raised by Darius's grandmother. How many cycles of broken families are you going to give us? Um, but yeah, it's really messed up. It's really, really bad. Um, and but the thing about um, this the show that I think is interesting is how they do this intermingling of characters that seems quite organic. What relationship does Tamar have to Leslie Dean, for example? None. The thread that connects them is the Wilders. But pregnant Leslie shows up um, in season three at Tamar's house, which I thought was interesting. Um, but Tamar is is grieving now. Um, you know, she's about to give birth any day now. And um, Catherine has taken away, you know, her child's father and the love of her life for no other reason than she didn't want to um, anyone to have anything over her. I think that's what she kept telling Jeffrey. Like, you can't get back in bed with him. People can't know we're connected or affiliated with him. But it's like, but who's going to know? It's not like Darius is going out putting ads in the paper about this. <laughs> right. Um. By the end of season two, Jonah's wife and kids roll through, as well as Zavin, like an alien slave, an injured servant type situation that they had. It's worse that she's like a light-skinned black girl. <laughs> girl, like she literally, really, they literally have someone who could have been cast as a house slave to be the house slave. <laughs> I hated it aliens. so much. <laughs> Hate it. And of all the shapes that she can shift and take, she took that one. It's like she knows what's going on here on this planet. It's like she knows. It's like she knows. But, like, like spoiler alert, not so spoiler. Jonah is a piece of shit, and his wife and kids aren't any better. Right. Um, and then Leslie gets a terrible gets, person. Leslie gets, like, a big wake up, right? Because she right. thought it was a, it was going to be her. Nope. Lies. Right. And then she finds out just, like, just like he's not, like, he's pretty much willing to kill Carolina if she doesn't come on the winning team, basically his team. Um, Jonah and Leslie is also something that I feel that could have used a little bit more time. By the end of season two, Leslie finds out that she's pregnant, like she's a few months along. And this baby is also Jonah's baby. Um, um, she doesn't find out out to season three whose baby it is, because it could be Jonah's or Frank's, her husband at this point. We, we don't know yet, but we know she's pregnant. But the interesting thing about Jonah and Leslie's relationship is, and they show us this photo twice between season one and season two. Um, Jonah killed an Australian businessman and took his shape. That's that's who Julian McMahon is supposed to portray, the body that this that Jonah took. And this was back in the 70s. And then he came to Leslie's father, who was running a cult at the time, just to get laid. But he came to Leslie's father. Um, and then this guy, you know, thought that he had found God or found a true awakening. And he changed the cult around and it became the Church of Gaborum. Um, what's interesting is in the photo, though, we see Jonah looking as he does now in that body that he snatched. And a Leslie who looks like she's graduating from kindergarten. Right. So, like, he literally groomed Leslie? Right. That's one of the more interesting <laughs> aspects of the show. That's also something I think that's really interesting that they explore. Um, but then, like, or, or, like, they try to, but then it can't really be given its full weight because, you know, Gaborums and dinosaurs and and witches right like we could have done without the dinosaurs and witches like you gave us this 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 thing all right and alfred 
Alfred Hitchcock says, never, ever present anything that you don't plan to use. You show us this picture of this little girl in like her little kindergarten graduation cap and gown looking up adoringly at this man, Jonah, in the picture. Obviously, there's a lot of grooming there. Obviously, he was a key factor in her life growing up. And obviously, she married Frank as a beard. Why not explore that instead of giving us freaking Morgan Le Fay? Like, I don't care. <laughs> right. And like, they sort of like... They hint and they sort of, they, you know, they hint and they, like, have flashes and and all of that sort of stuff uh, for, um, for, like, throughout the series. But I, I don't know. Like, but it never, like, amounts to anything, really. Um, you know, there's a line that Leslie says to Kit Pardue. I'm just using his name. Um, <laughs> there's Leslie says to her husband, she's like, I was ashamed of the relationship with Jonah, ashamed of, and he's like, why were you ashamed? And like, we get why, but, but like we never, but that's the closest we ever really get into her psyche about how she feels about all of it, you know? Right, right. And like, literally, that's the only reason she would be ashamed, right? Because she knows Jonah's true age. The fact that he's an alien um, doesn't, I, I would assume doesn't bother her as much because we see the relationship between Carolina and Nico and it doesn't bother Nico, right? Um, but I think the shame comes from their age gap. And then later, as that body started to deteriorate, him, you know, like 20 years ago, him basically getting her and all the others to kill people for him. Right. Um, like, yeah, that would give me a, a great amount of shame as well, sis. Like, yeah, y'all, you murdering for this dude. <laughs> right. And it's interesting, like, as I was watching the show, like, I was, I was like, this, so why this plot is actually, like, super, super interesting to me was, I was like, okay, like, that's, that's actually a really fascinating idea. Like, um, in that, how it's like, what if in in the thought of like what if you thought you met god but then like god like sucked like you know what i mean or yeah, like it was like the devil or an right. alien right because but like, like, an alien. because we're such a limited species i know someone's going to get mad at me cuz they're going to be like we're the masters of the universe and we're the master race like stop for a minute we are a very limited species very limited we don't even know everything that's going on on land let alone on the in the ocean of our planet right we haven't seen all the creatures. We haven't gone to all the crevices. We haven't explored all the things. We've left this planet and gone to the moon and still haven't ex fully explored the planet we're living on. So I think it'd be very easy for a much more intellectually advanced alien race to convince us that they're God. Right, because the idea of it is like... Um, the idea is like, it's like what happened, like or what initially happened with Cortez, Right. Like, mm -hmm. you have an indigenous people thinking that this person is, like, their god, but then, like, he turns out to be anything but, right? He he turns yep. out to be their destroyer. So the Jonah plot feels somewhat similar, which is fascinating and really interesting. But I don't, but, like, I don't know. It doesn't, they don't, it doesn't ever really amount to anything. Right. In season two, um, they also go a little bit further with the Leslie backstory by showing you that her mother, played by the infamous Kathleen Quinlan, love that lady, um, didn't abandon her and didn't just leave the church and set off for greener pastors. She's literally been locked hostage at some sort of reformation camp where the Church of Gaborm holds people who try to defect. 
which is also like a really famous Scientology thing. Yeah. Right. That, and that, it's that a, part was wild. Excellent plot device. Excellent, excellent plot. plot device. Yeah. The only, uh, literally the only thing I would have changed is the fact that Carolina goes to her father for help. And like, he uses this occasion and Leslie being like demoted basically to try to seize control of the church because he's, uh, as an, he's a narcissistic actor who needs attention that he's been deprived of for years. I would have actually liked it if he had gotten on their side and tried to help the kids because he is the only parent who wasn't a member of pride and wasn't out here murdering kids for the last 20 years. (laughs) I would have liked to see him as like a good guy. Um, not just rehabilitating all these murderous parents, but actually showing us that, like, he's not just some wash-up actor. Like, he has a brain and he's a good person. I would have liked to see that. They try to make him a villain. Kip Pardu is not your villain. You have villains on the show, utilize them. He's not a good villain. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. Like, he needed to be the one. And he and that's what sucked about, I think, his trajectory is that initially he did feel like the one person that was going to have some sense like you know what i mean <laughs> right and then you killed it we were rooting for you frank we were all rooting for you we were all rooting for you but and that it's like yeah you had enough villains like we there's enough villainous people on this show um so season two ends also okay but before we go into season two ending um i felt it was so unfortunate to watch <laughs> and this is low key. Just this is just a comment about something that happened in season one. But it was so unfortunate to watch um, Nico's father blow up his life, and then that woman didn't even leave her husband. Girl, that was yeah. That was I think that was back in season one, right? Or like yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He so uh, Robert Minoro and Janet Stein, uh, Nico's dad and Chase's mom, were having this affair, and they both agreed to leave their partners. Um, and then like Victor's abusive as fuck, but, um, at the end of season one, I believe, um, they give him some sort of transfusion with Jonah's blood and it makes him like a better person or whatever, which is weird. And it kind of, it's counterproductive to the narrative they've been spinning that Joseph, that Jonah is evil, but whatever. And so she decides to stay and give Victor another chance. And so, and this scene I love because I feel like it's so culturally relevant as well. And, um, shout out to the show for casting actual Japanese people to play a Japanese couple. But he, Robert prostrates himself in front of, of Tina and gets on his knees, hands and knees, face down, and begs her to forgive him. I and I was like, it. I'm not going to lie. I love it. If you cheated on me, I need some begging. Sorry. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> no, like not not even just that. It was just like all it's like you could have like we said before, have an affair like a normal person. <laughs> right, right. Don't um, like go and blow up your life. Well, yeah, the thing is he could have had an affair with anybody, but it makes sense too that it would be a pride member because they're like when they're not working, they're always with each other. They cause they're always up to some shadiness, right? Like he when does he have the time to meet someone who's not affiliated with pride? <laughs> And everybody else is in a happy marriage. So there you go. I feel like their affair was literally a relationship of convenience. Because we know Catherine ain't leaving Jeffrey and Stacy is not leaving Dale. (laughs) Right. It's like, come on. Come on, friend. Okay. It's like, I feel so bad for him. But yeah, that shit was funny. And I I love Robert Minoro too. He's a character that didn't get as much screen time as the other parents. But when he was on screen, that shit hit always. It hit so hard. (laughs) 
Yeah. So by the end of season two, Jonah's no good ass family, the alien family, has taken possession of uh James Marsters and uh Bridget Brennan and Nico's mom. Yeah, uh, the characters, yeah, they they're possessing Tina, Stacy, and um Alex. Um and of course um Victor because uh Jonah's the old body he was inhabiting got like fucked up and blown up, right? Right. So so now they so they Julia McMahon is gone now. <laughs> right, they've gone and like now and they've in his family they've jumped into um Chase's dad, Gert's mom and 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 Nico's mom. And they are and then they've captured Carolina, Chase, and Chase's uh, Janet. Mom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Chase's mom and have locked them in these like pods and are slowly stealing their life force. And that's how we end. That's the big cliffhanger that we end on right. in right. season two. So season two, where are we at? What do we feel? How do we think? Um I, like I said, I would have liked more fleshing out of what happened to Leslie's mom and her backstory with Jonah. I also like the whole Frank Dean, like trying his hand at villainy. Y'all could have, y'all could have scrapped that. Um, but I'm going to give this season a good minus. Same. I think I'm going to give season two a good minus. I think the, the problems that are like with that, in the series become, I think, more apparent um, in season two. Um, in, but the good that's there is very good. So that's why it still gets a good minus. Mm-hmm. It's still very good. And like even things that happen that I don't like, for instance, like Alex's mom killing Darius, it's still very in line with who she is as a person. It doesn't feel like it came out of left at all. Right, exactly. <laughs> that definitely feels like true to to her character in, in this show, and um, that she would feel that 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 she would feel like she couldn't trust Darius to just um, uphold his his word. That she would kill him uh, to ensure her safety and, and the safety of her family. That feels on brand for her. Yeah. So season two, it's solid. It's really solid. Um, so season three has 10 episodes. That's the final season of Runaways. Now it has to be said by the middle of season two, this show actually had lower ratings than all of the shows that Netflix canceled. But oh, one wow, thing I was, really? yes, it had lower ratings than every single show that Netflix canceled. So what I will give Hulu credit for is that they really stick by their original series. They don't let them flounder. Now, both Netflix and Hulu are trash in advertising. But even when it comes to advertising, I don't feel like Hulu favors some shows above others. It's just trash across the board. It's just bad at advertising. <laughs> but they don't give up on their shows. Um, and, you know, if there's enough viewership just for them to be making a profit off the show, they're not going to completely kill it. And I enjoyed that. I appreciate that Hulu. Right. I also think just because of, because Hulu is like part of the Disney machine, they have like money to burn, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to just let things stay on. But, um, uh, so that last season though, 
Now we knew that was going to be the last season. We knew that Darius, that Jonah's family, his wife and kids, he has a son and a daughter escaped. We don't know who they're inhabiting yet. Now, when we come into season three, we know that Jonah is in Victor's body. We know that um, his uh, his daughter is in Tina's body. His wife is in Stacy's body. We don't know where his who his son is yet. We we eventually find out that his son is inhabiting Alex, but we didn't we don't know coming in who it, who it is. And we know that Chase, Carolina, and Janet are being held hostage. And Stacy, possessed by the wife, is livid livid about the fact that he has an illegitimate bi-species daughter with a human. <laughs> she finds out eventually who Carolina is to him. And she's like, I hope you don't think this bitch is coming back home with us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's, like, she's like, your love child cannot come. We don't have room for her on the ship. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't mess with her at all. Um, the, the actress who plays Tina, um, what is her name again? Let me go back up and find this. Um, uh, Tina Minora, Tina Minora, Tina Minora, uh, Brittany Ishibashi, great actress. And I didn't realize how great until season three, where she's like playing. I feel like his daughter's supposed to be like a teenage girl, like Carolina, right? Like she's giving me real immature tease type of situation. Like she even looks younger portraying, um, Jonah's daughter. Um, it's interesting. It's really, really great to watch. Um, and this is the season where Leslie, who's like seven, eight months along, discovers through an ultrasound that this is definitely Jonah's baby, not Frank's, that this baby is part alien too. Um, and so we're, we're thrust into like another pregnant woman in a dangerous situation. We're thrust with these aliens, um, and then we, we we get into the Zavin situation. So Zavin is an indentured servant, um, a slave to that royal family. But she, in the prophecy of their homeland, um, she feels that it's her job to protect and provide for this alien-human hybrid. And she interprets the prophecy as talking about Carolina. And so she thinks that Carolina is going to be her betrothed. Awkward awkward <laughs> carolina got a girl <laughs> right because it's very awkward awkward carolina and nico are very yeah they're good. very they're very booed up and it's so, yeah yeah go ahead no 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 continue it's it's more awkward because being their last season, this is the only season that I will definitively say feels rushed. And I don't blame the writers for that. They were going at a pretty decent pace season one and two. And I just feel like they, they were, um, they were feeling that, um, that impending demise of the series. And they were trying to push too much into this narrative in 10 episodes. We get Leslie finding out that this baby is Jonah's. Leslie having the baby with Tamar's help, uh, Zavin realizing that the prophecy is not talking about Carolina, but talking about this infant, and that the infant's not going to be her betrothed, but that she's going to be the, the, the surrogate mother or the adoptive mother of this child and raise this child to be a good person. We get Tamar killing Catherine in prison. We get Alex, um, all the runaways being sucked into the dark dimension and Alex being left behind. 
We get Morgan Le Fay coming into our world and using a, a phone program called Corvus to cast a mass spell. We get a guest appearance from the Tyrone and Tandy characters from Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Oh, um, yeah. In 10 episodes. It's exhausting. <laughs> I feel like... I- I don't know if it's so much rushed because, like, they didn't make the announcement that there would be no season four until when? Till like, way after, right? No, no. They announced that season three would be their last when season two um, had its finale. It had its wrap-up. As I remember, on our first page, which Twitter um, suspended because Twitter is a hating-ass bitch— um, that I talked about, you know, that final season coming out. Like, they knew season oh. three would be their last. Yeah. Okay, so then, yeah, that this isn't... Because a lot of stuff that happens in season three feels like when a show knows that, like, it's... Like, it's... It feels like when a show has a feeling that they're going to be canceled. Not that they already know that they're canceled, right? Like, they just... They think right. that they might be. So right. now they're going to do all the things, right? They're doing all the things to try to, like, galvanize an audience. So, like, particularly the the Cloak and Dagger crossover, that felt like a big jump push to to get in a new audience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To, 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 to stave off Canvillet to stave off cancellation for, like, one more season. That's how everything in season three felt. So, like, I'm... that. So it's it's kind of it like did banana feel like nuts. that, right? It did feel like that. So it's banana nuts to me that like they they knew going into season three that like this was it, and then they chose to do what they did. Right. So I have two thoughts about that. I do agree with you that this feels like they were doing all the things to a galvanize an audience and then also pique our interest and make us want a fourth season. Um, but I also feel like somewhere in there, someone went to the Nashville School of Thought and they're like, they can't cancel us. They can't keep us down. Let's just keep on churning out these episodes. Because you, if you turn tune into our Lights, Camera, Action season where we reviewed Nashville, this was something that we discussed. Nashville bounced around from place to place and couldn't find a steady home. And even before they made that deal with Hulu, they really didn't know what would come of the show. But they're like, no, no, no. We're not going to wrap things up. We're going to keep it going. We're going to find another home. And they would eventually keep on finding a new home. Um, and that's what they felt like. It felt like um, they wanted to do here is pull in the audience that went, that, you know, kind of petered off in the beginning of season two and bring those people back in. But even that was, even season one and season two, what you had going on was so much. You have this right. Gaborum. Right? You have the Gaborm, you have the alien race. You have Nico and her staff of one, which apparently is inherited from... In season one and two, they make it seem like this is inherited from her bloodline. Right? Mm -hmm. Her and her mom's bloodline. Mm -hmm. And then you also have that dinosaur, Old Lace, aka the rehabilitation prop for for the Gert character. (laughs) But now... Now you're throwing in a whole other dimension and all these witches and like the cell phones are evil. It's so, it's so much. It's so much. Like, stop. <laughs> stop. Stop. Oh, like, y'all really could have just kept Darius alive and kept that plot going. 
Um, or you could have like given the Frank character rehabilitation where like maybe he finally becomes a good person because again, Kip Pardue is not your villain. We have villains. We have the Catherine Wilder character. We have the Jonah character. We have the Victor Stein character. They all play various shades of villain on the show. We have enough. <laughs> right, um, we have enough. Just chill out. Like it's a lot. And it's so much to deal with. Like, I love you for getting Elizabeth Hurley on the show. I love Elizabeth Hurley. She's a great love character. Yeah. She would have been a great character on another show. Put Send her to Cloak and Dagger, actually. Right. Um, we, did we really need her here? We had so much going on. And again, the backstory of these characters is so interesting. Even when you take away what's happening currently with them trying to escape Jonah's psychotic family, right? Um. Molly's backstory is great. Chase's backstory is great. Um, Carolina's backstory is great. Um, even the whole um, the whole uh, erection of the Church of Gaborm as it exists, it's a fascinating story. Right. There's, there's, yeah. Like I mean, and that's there's so much richness already in these characters in the story. Um, you guys could have just, I think, really, the last season could have been a deep dive into to that and then call it a day but like no that's that's not what happened it's just not and what all happened. all the shit that i said that's not all folks then we gonna go like what was it like five years three four or five years in the future oh yeah there's that time jump <laughs> the time jump is interesting it shows us a future alex that's evil as fuck and trying to kill all his friends um again that's a whole other season in, in and of itself that alone is a whole season in and of itself. The seasons are only like 10 to 13 episodes. That's right. a season. Find out what happened to Alex that he's trying to kill you guys. Or just stop future Alex. I don't know. Do something. See, like that feels like the final last ditch of like, pick us up, Netflix. Yeah, it kind of felt a little bit like that. And that hurt me because the show started off strong regardless of the critiques we made. Because, I mean, that's what we do on this podcast. The show was very, very strong. The casting is strong. The acting is strong. And to see the show become so desperate in its last final season kind of hurt my heart. It it did. It was like... It felt like... It felt like... Um, it felt like that gif of, like, Diddy staring at that contestant... Yeah. Who like, wouldn't get off the stage? Who's like, no, I, I made it to the next round. <laughs> and we're all just like, this is so awkward. Stop this. <laughs> it actually really does feel like that. That's like <laughs> the perfect analysis. I swear to God. <laughs> I was just like, just just leave. It's fine. Like you you tried your best. Like, and that's that's all you can ask of yourself. Listen, we you and I always say something and it's and the more we say it, the more I really internalize it. And I feel like that's that's real as hell. It's like, you can't always have a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, Beyonce said that she lost 46 times. For, every, her, for all her 24 Grammys, she lost 46 times. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you just lose. And you're not for everybody. Stop trying. And this is what the last season really pissed me off about it. Stop trying to be for everybody. You want to be a spy show, a time travel show, a sci-fi show um, um, with, with, with multiple genres of sci-fi, right? We get the aliens, we get the dinosaurs, and we get the tech. Um, you want to be a romance, 
And you want to be like a fucking um, a secret agent show all at once. And you want to be a teen drama. Stop. You are not for everybody. Stop. Pick You're a niche. Right. Pick a niche. Pick a niche. And then even for all that, like they don't like the show doesn't have a lot of action. That like really got me. <laughs> right. The most action again. We're gonna go back to the Molly character. The most action revolves around her character, and the most comedy and levity also revolves around her character. Great utilization of the character, but underutilization of these devices. How are you not giving right. me action on a sci-fi action show? Right? <laughs> what is this? And like I know Molly's super strong, but like her and old lace are really where the action is. The other only other forms of action we get is when Victor Stein is beating on his family. Which is not like that's not like that cannot be a thing. Like that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um but I do have a, f- a couple favorite episodes from season three. Episode four, Ride of Thunder, where Leslie goes into labor and um, Alex takes her to Tamar's house. Alex, who it's revealed in this episode, is the 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 son of Jonah's character. Um, right. Um, and she has that baby. And you know what I love? I really love... Um, I miss Livy. I do. Shout out to Livy. But I love that the, the Tamar character it was still integrated in the storyline of season three. I really appreciated that they didn't just dispose of that character when Darius was killed. Same. Um, um, yeah, that that's honestly like the only episode of season four that's cohesive that I want that's part of that that original continuation of those original original storylines that I really fuck with is episode four no exactly exactly um there are some things there are definitely some moments in season three I I didn't watch like the the cloak and dagger show but I heard it was really popular I, I know a lot of people liked it Girl, I mean, I mean, is it isn't it still on, or did it didn't it just end after four or five seasons or something? Um, so Cloak yeah. and Dagger is still, um, actually no, it it actually ended sooner than Runaways. It only lasted two seasons. Oh, okay. Um, and I think this crossover was a last ditch effort for the both of them. Oh, okay, because I remember it. I, I just I think I remember it was it got really positive like re- reception. It did get positive reception, but um I don't think the critical reception translated to audience um loyalty, and that's where they fucked up. Season three, good, Season bad, three. or basic. Um, I want to say it's it's just I think it's bad. Yeah, I'm going to give it a bad plus. I feel like, again, if you had just taken out one, just one, of the overabundance of <laughs> things going on, it could have been, like, redeemable. I could have given it, like, um, I could have given it, like, a good minus. But there's just so much. There's so much, and a lot of it is, like, 50% of it is wholly unnecessary. Right, and you know how you know it's bad is because they, in season three, starts doing that thing that we've talked about where, like, they start introducing new characters at the last minute. For why? I don't care about Morgan. I don't care about Tandy and Tyrone. (sighs) Just stop, Oh, my gosh. Um, And that's how you always know, because, like, because we talked about that when, like, you know writers are getting desperate when they start introducing new people. Yeah. Um, um, and I didn't want this show to be... Look, listen, Runaways, you are better than this. You are better than this last season. Um, 
I felt like the the storyline with Alex when he gets put in the dark dimension, it would have been, uh, it was okay, I guess. But not very necessary. The Corvus storyline with Morgan Le Fay, not very necessary. The only levity we had, ironically enough, was with Chase trying to help Gertrude get into her dream college. Right. And um, also when I think they... Because eventually they depossess the um, Gertrude and and them. They de- they de- they depossess Gertrude's mom, and Chase's dad gets depossessed. And like, there's a they. And funny enough, they both go to like ther- like a support group, like therapy or something. Like mm-hmm. that could have been something that you just ran with for the rest of the season. Like you know what I mean? Right, because it was that whole storyline of how like they had sex when they were possessed by Jonah and his wife. Right. And like they're not married and they feel some type of way about that <laughs> because they feel like, you know, violated on numerous levels. We could have talked about that. We could have we could have leaned more into the staff of one simply being an inherited family instrument without pulling Morgan Le Fay and all her crew into the situation and, you know, try to get more healing in the relationship between Nico and Tina. Um, a lot could have been done differently and more simply. Um, simple doesn't always mean bad and complicated doesn't always mean better and the season is proof of that And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made Marvel's Runaways good, bad, basic, and original. If you'd like to check out the series, Marvel's Runaway is a Hulu original and is also currently streaming on Disney+. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Marvel's Runaways Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing Fox's sci-fi drama, Dark Angel. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Be sure to follow us on our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone. Bye everyone.